This is the podcast version of the YouTube series, From Here to the Stars, which is created by the Interstellar Research Group. Our guests today are Ken Roy and Martha Knowles. Both are co-founders of the Interstellar Research Group. Martha Knowles is treasurer of the IRG and was a professional librarian and records management specialist. Ken Roy is an engineer who works at the Oak Ridge Nuclear Facility. This is for the Tennessee Valley Interstellar Workshop. And so uh, you guys are both involved with that, have been for several years. Uh, from the beginning. From the beginning, yes. Okay. We're both co-founders. Um, yes. Okay. okay. Um, the, uh, the obvious question is if, uh, if, if, if you're involved with it, well, then of course you must care about and deeply I'm thinking about the, the goals of the Tennessee Valley interstellar workshop. That is uh, their goal is of course, to, uh, promote the idea and research, uh, and sort of, uh, become a central, maybe clearinghouse even of information concerning interstellar exploration. Yes. Yeah. Why are telescopes not enough? Why? They don't see enough. Okay. Oh, uh, they, if, if you have radio telescopes, they get that particular, uh, wave of wavelengths. Mm-hmm. You have visual telescopes that get that particular wavelength. So you get that information, but there's so much other information. If you actually land on Mars, mm-hmm. that the visual information that the human race gets from that is very different from just the visual and radio information that we get from telescopes. Okay. Modest is an interesting example because for a long time, they thought there were canals. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because of the poor quality of the telescopes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, mm-hmm. yeah, the question is why aren't telescopes enough? And the answer is it's kind of like watching a documentary on the Grand Canyon. Uh, watching a documentary gives you some idea of what's there, but until you actually go to the Grand Canyon, you can't appreciate uh, what the Grand Canyon is and, and how ma- majestic it is and how impressive it is and just, you know, how, how important it is. So going there is uh, is part of the adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like um, uh, somebody was talking about robotics and he said the, the idea of an embodied experience. It, of course, you're talking about a different, you know, aspect, but still it is an embodied experience to be able to reach down and pick up a rock in person. It's different. It well, is. it's like seeing pictures of the finds from Sutton Who mm-hmm. and then actually going and seeing them in person. It, it's a different experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think are the biggest hurdles, the biggest obstacles to be overcome for interstellar exploration? Um, probably the cultural, uh, question, you know, a lot of people ask, well, how come, uh, we're spending money on, uh, you know, building starships when we have problems here at home, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, uh, a problem that Apollo had to, had to overcome and, mm-hmm. you know, criticism that is still offered uh, to, uh, to NASA. Why are we spending money, uh, trying to go into space and, and do these things when there are real problems here at home? Mm-hmm. And somehow we have got to be able to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the answer goes along the lines of it's an investment. Uh, it, you know, yeah. will pay, you know, vast dividends, uh, once it begins to come in, but you have to invest in the time and the technology and the resources to begin to build, uh, starships, begin to get into space and, you know, 
select the explorers and, and send them all. And I think a lot of the investment in research and development along the lines will create things that will make life on Earth better. You think about um, all the advances that have been made because of what we had to do for uh, Mercury and Gemini and Apollo mm-hmm. and how those have affected our lives today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just the learning how to do it for the sake of doing it. There's also other benefits. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in recent years, I've been surprised and maybe a little discouraged at the, uh, the medical problems of zero G. Yes. Um, you have any thoughts on that? Yes. Uh, there are real problems with, uh, zero G NASA is working hard on trying to mitigate, uh, a lot of the, the medical issues and they're, they're making progress, but, uh, the bottom line is humans, uh, as we're constructed today, don't do well in, in zero G. <laughs> now there are a couple of answers to that. We can either modify humans. So zero G is, is a fine natural environment for them, or we can create, uh, starships that, you know, accommodate us by providing artificial gravity. <laughs> so yeah, we're just, yeah, that's an important issue and we have got to address it. It's just one of the, the many challenges to trying to. Uh, you know, build starships and get to the stars. Okay. I, um, <clears throat> I have a natural hesitancy to modify humans toward worlds or really? I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. So, uh, you know, my preference of course would be to, uh, build starships that, uh, accommodate, you know, one G gravities. And then, then we know how to do that. Mm-hmm. We well, know how to do but that. But think about the modifications that we already make to humans. Mm-hmm. I have a rod in my leg because I broke my leg uh, and that's how I walk around. Yeah. Uh, people who have lost limbs, how do we deal with that? Yeah. They do stuff like that. Um, so think of all the other modifications. We're both wearing glasses. Yeah. You know, that's a modification. Mm-hmm. So some can be mod- uh, minor or externally even like glasses, exactly. but some could be maybe even internal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. When the mysterious black ships arrived, they devastated humanity's peaceful space settlements and obliterated their populations. Earth appears defenseless against the mysterious marauders. Two of humanity's finest starship captains must push themselves to the brink to save humanity from total annihilation by an enemy that will not identify itself or reveal its motives. Together, they will plumb the scientific wells of existence where the primordial knot of space-time may be unraveling. The Space-Time War by Les Johnson and bainbooks.com right at this point we don't have that much infrastructure throughout the solar system but uh we're gearing up we're wanting to go to the south pole the moon we're wanting to find asteroids nasa a few days ago uh put out a piece they said that there was a a, a specific asteroid that was worth some x i forget the number quintillion dollars worth uh, of precious metal yes yeah, that's what that was and they said in the same article that I read, they estimated the world, the entire global economy was worth $75 trillion, <laughs> which, you know, would be dwarfed by such a mm-hmm. asteroid. Now, yes. people are talking about, you know, uh, mining other asteroids, a um, couple of billionaires, then, uh, but not in that particular one. And, but this would be a thing that would, you know, start small and ramp up over time mm-hmm. so that we would have the access, uh, which we do not have on Earth, to vast quantities of materials and which would we, we probably, you know, so as we grow into over time, mm-hmm. what's your take on the, um, the building out the infrastructure over the next century or so? Well, first of all, you have to understand there's tremendous 
resources and tremendous energy resources available in outer space, just there essentially for the, the taking. <laughs> and, you know, with that kind of wealth and that kind of opportunity, uh, the question is not should we, but the question is who and when, <laughs> because whoever gets there first is going to be really, really rich. Mm-hmm. Or really, really richer. Richer. <laughs> yeah. And also very, very powerful because if you're in space, you occupy the high ground and, you know, if you choose to keep it, it's going to be hard for anyone Earth-based to uh, take it from you. Mm-hmm. So somehow humanity has got to be able to uh, coordinate this activity and hopefully do it in a, a peaceful manner. Mm-hmm. But make no mistake, uh, the wealth and the material and the energy resources out there will be exploited by somebody at some point, perhaps sooner than you think. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I view, uh, uh, extrasolar exploration as a sort of a, I don't know, a gradual thing that would occur be after, really after we have, uh, uh infrastructure throughout the solar system, or at least much oh, more than we have. Now. Right, right, right. Yeah. First of all, we're going to have to begin to industrialize and exploit the solar system. Mm-hmm. And as part of that. Uh, I think part of the build-out will be to eventually begin to build interstellar probes and then interstellar colony ships and exploration ships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, yeah, there's not going to be a clear demarcation, but there will be a continual expansion once we get into space because uh, the opportunities and the wealth is just so vast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I worry a little bit about pushback from uh, ecologists because of, uh, well, if we find an Earth-like planet that we're going to go and we're going to colonize or inhabit, build our, you know, civilization to uh, extend our civilization to that location. Well, the Earth has a, an atmosphere with oxygen and it because of microbes, because of bacterial that, uh, from its early days. Well, that one would have bacteria from its early days too. Maybe. Well, maybe not. But, maybe, but, maybe not. Yeah, but and, and that's one reason to go is to find out, you know, what kind of life is on other planets, if mm-hmm. any, and is it very similar to ours? You know, could it be derived from the same source or did it arise completely independently? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a question worth knowing. Mm-hmm. Is life rare in the universe or is it very, very common? Mm-hmm. That's an answer worth knowing. Is it based on carbon? It, well, mm-hmm. again, it, it, it could be an alien life form, yeah. uh, very different from us and uh, and maybe that the interaction of the two could be very toxic to one or the other or both. Uh, it, it, it's, yeah, it's interesting. And, uh, the questions need to be answered. Mm-hmm. I wonder also if it's an older planet that maybe plants and primitive animals have developed as well. Okay. So well, maybe push back on that too. The same question. Um, are they very similar to earth life or we actually derive from the same source is it uh, a, a life uh, an ecosystem that has developed independently um and if it's independent if it's an alien form of life uh then the the ethical issues uh, you know raise their head you know do we have the right then to uh expro- expropriate their planet uh, so to speak um if it's a sterile empty planet uh, then I don't think there's really in any ethical issue, uh, we, you know, can move in. In fact, uh, I think you could argue that we have an ethical issue to bring life to a, a sterile dead world. Mm-hmm. But if the world has life already, then yeah, I think there's a, a lot of head scratching to be done. Okay. Um, I've got no problem personally with, you know, uh, supplanting, shall I say a bacterial 
we inhabited planet. Okay. Okay. Well, you, you, you can certainly make that argument. Okay. But what happens if it's, uh, you know, early primate type? Uh, that'd be, I'd have trouble. That's right. And so, so well, where's the dividing? Where's the dividing? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, uh, you look at, at David Braden's Uplift series mm-hmm. and okay, you have, um, certain or, um, species that may over time Mm-mm. become intelligent and become a civilized species, <laughs> but they aren't quite yet there. What do we do? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a big, you're right. Ethical question. Big eth- yeah. And part of what TVI is trying to do is to begin to at least lay the groundwork for discussing that, that question, yes. uh, you know, at the next TVI W symposium, we're going to have a panel on, uh, you know, the ethics of colonization. Hmm. And so, you know, and first it, contact and, and first yeah, contact yeah. And, and all of these are, you know, we're going to begin to at least think about the issue mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe put some good minds together and maybe come up with at least the beginning of an idea. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the, the symposium, uh, can you describe the past symposiums a little bit of what they entail, what the, what kind of material was talked about or discussed or presented? I that. <laughs> That's probably me. <laughs> um. The first one was in uh, 2011, and it was just like 40 people that Linus and Robert knew, and then we all got together and we talked about stuff, everything. We had um, a sociologist talk about how you go to another land and, and what happens if you don't plan correctly. We had an artist talk about her work. We had... Uh, I mean, it was across the board. Mm-hmm. We had everybody on the boat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then everybody said, well, when are you going to do this again? <laughs> and we went, well, okay. Um, since then, it has become more engineering and, and technology. Well, not entirely, though. Not it, entirely. You know, the, the softer sciences, uh, the, the ethics but, questions, those yes. have been... Uh, debated and we have had papers on those subjects. So it's not just, you know, rocket science, although that's part of it. One of the things we've done is create what we call working tracks where people tackle a subject. Mm -hmm. And one of those subjects in one case was how do humans live in outer space? Mm -hmm. And that has, um, the, the fruits of that have been a anthology. That was edited by Robert Hampson and Les Johnson on Stellaris, the new human in space. Okay. Um, so what happens when humans go to space and how do they live there? How do, how do they need to adjust? Hey. How do they need to grow? Um, and this gets into more than just, you know, um, steel, steel pipes in the legs and whatever. <laughs> Um, but that's something, everything needs to be discussed. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, we work with several other organizations that have, um, have, have looked at particular parts of things. Um, uh, I4S in, in England Mm -hmm. is looking at a spaceship. Mm -hmm. What is the name? Is it? Um, um, the, um. Initiative for Interstellar Studies in England. Mm -hmm. Um, 100-Year Starship is looking at the same thing. They want to build a starship. 
in in 100 years. Right. Um, Icarus Interstellar is looking at um, the diversity of what we need to look at mm-hmm. to get into space. Uh, you know, there's other organizations that are looking at the same thing. I like to think that TVIW is looking at everything <laughs> and and trying to to pull it all together. Okay. Okay. I mean, these people are doing great things, mm-hmm. and and but we need to pull it all together somehow. Okay. Okay. Do you have an idea for a podcast or a video series, but don't have the means to produce and edit it? Or are you simply looking for someone to produce and master your podcast or video series? Well, look no further. The team at Videos, Vocals, and Adventures can help fulfill all your needs for your video and podcast series. Visit VideosVocalsAndAdventures.com today and find their contact information page for affordable pricing offers to get your next project started. You can also find previous series they have sponsored to get a better idea of what they do and how they can help. Video Vocals and Adventures produces this podcast and video series, From Here to the Stars. VideosVocalsAndAdventures.com. That's VideosVocalsAndAdventures.com. Visit them today. As far as, um, I would say, inspiration. Mm-hmm. inspiring maybe the scientific community or the general public. What do you, what role do you think that plays? Oh, that's a very, very important, uh, mm-hmm. mission. Then it goes back to, you know, my comment earlier about affecting the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yes. culture has got to, uh, be encouraged to embrace the idea of, uh, going into space and exploring and, and learning and, and growing and colonizing, uh, expanding. You know, if we say, okay, earth is, earth is enough, uh, let's just stay here. Uh, uh, someone said the universe is probably full of, uh, you know, the remains of dead civilizations that made the perfectly rational choice to, you know, not go into space. Mm-hmm. And of course they're being explored, uh, you know, by the archeologists from, uh, races who made the illogical choice to go into space and yes. explore. I would want to explore. Yeah. Right. Right. And there's something to be said for expanding, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it seems like the universe, uh, you know, issues a challenge, you know, either you grow and and learn and expand or you stagnate and die and going into space is one way to uh, challenge ourselves. Okay. What are your thoughts on the Fermi paradox? No, the idea that we're alone, (laughs) which I mean, it's almost unthinkable really. Uh, Based on what I know, uh. You know, the Fermi paradox or, or the Drake equation indicates that, that there should be lots of advanced, uh, civilizations, uh, aliens should be here, uh, but they're, they, they're not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a part of the, the Fermi paradox. Like well, in part of the Fermi paradox, the great silence that, yeah, they're all out there, but they aren't talking to anybody because they don't want to get involved. So that's, <laughs> that's one of the possible solutions. But the, the fact of the matter is, uh, they should be here. They're not, there's something going on. We don't understand. And again, that undermines or undermine, that underlines the idea that we need to go ahead and get into space and find out what's going on yeah. because there's a, there's a mystery there. And we need to understand what it is. And the human race as a very curious species Mm-mm. wants to know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What do you think about the idea that we've already re- re- revealed our location 
uh, drop technology and radars and stuff like that. I, they were all watching old I Love Lucy reruns, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because, I mean, some people are afraid. I mean, genuinely. Oh, yeah. Right. That we have all re revealed ourselves to any uh, potential alien civilizations mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. Maybe being, as you say, very quiet uh, in order to uh, avoid attention. Mm -hmm. um, is that a, I mean, I'm sure it's a legitimate fear, but is it, do you think it's reasonable based on what we understand of us? When you're dealing with the unknown, you have to uh, explore all possibilities. And that is one of the possibilities that, uh, you know, may explain the Fermi paradox. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it'd be funny if the, the first uh, message we got from sent to you is, you should have been quiet. They have probably heard you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but again, it goes back to the Fermi paradox. We don't know. We need to find out. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, if you were thinking of a timeline and uh, this is speculation, speculation question, that is how soon do you think we can send of like thinking of a fast mission, like a small probe, maybe the, uh, what is it? The one grand probe? Oh yeah. The, yeah. Is what, it, what is it? Starshot? Is it a Starshot. Breakthrough yeah. Starshot. Breakthrough Starshot. They're looking at doing it real soon, probably mm -hmm. in the next 20, 30 years. Hmm. You know, build a, a massive, uh, laser array and then launch. Uh, I, I, it's hard to imagine it's going to be one gram, but, uh, you know, three or four grams. Mm -hmm. And even if they can't get, uh, 20% the speed of, speed of light, if they get 10% the speed of light, Hey, that's going to be impressive enough. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And you know, that means, uh, you know, in 40 years we'll. You know, have some pictures from Alpha Centauri. Mm. Yo, that's not shabby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be pretty good. I, uh, interviewed, uh, Bill, 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 yeah. Yeah. He's, he's sort of the art of that. And, yeah. and, and he could tell you all the details about Operation Starshot. Mm -hmm. He was describing it to me. He said, uh, that he would, that we would accelerate it using lasers that were not, of course, attached to the. Right. To right. Traveling. Uh, accelerated for about 10 minutes and then do another and another and another. And he has a whole cloud, not just heading for Alpha Centauri, but, but all the nearby stars. Yeah. Right. He's right. He's right. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I know. It was exciting. Sound. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's very exciting. be a couple of grams, but, uh, there would be hundreds of them probably going to uh, each star system. Mm -hmm. And then we can improve the, uh, the, the craft and then do it again and mm -hmm. then do it again. And so we will know, uh, you know, in 40, 50, 60 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, what is out there to, to some extent, if it's just barren rock, okay, that's worth knowing. If it's something else, then we may need to know that. Mm -hmm. Um, before I let you go, is there anything that you'd want to mention or emphasize the, to the audience that, uh, that uh, involves the Tennessee Valley intercell workshop, the, something that's important to you that you want to talk about? We are, well, for our next interstellar symposium. We are working with NASA to provide a propulsion workshop mm -hmm. uh, that's specific to uh, beamed energy and what's the other one? Fusion. Fusion energy. Fusion energy. And that's part of the whole picture. Mm -hmm. We need to get there. So propulsion is very important. Yeah. Um, I would think it's the main, the main obstacle, really. Oh, well, well, it's, it's one of many, you know, the, uh, yep. health and safety of, uh, you know, people on the craft, uh, mm -hmm. that, that's not a, a trivial problem. That's true. Yeah. The sociological, um, milieu of the aircraft, because it's going to take 40, 50 years and think how much, um, civilization has changed mm -hmm. over the last 50 years. Yeah. 
Yeah. It seems it's like the world changes entirely almost in 10 years. Yes. Every 10 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with that on a ship that has humans that's going 50, 100 years into the future? Mm. Oh, and, and I have some thoughts on Thoughts on that, but <laughs> that's a whole other. <laughs> uh, that may be you know, you know, a subject for a favor. What, yeah, one one insight I've had, I guess, here just you know, in the last couple of days is that a lot of the preliminary thinkers essentially were science fiction writers, mm-hmm. and TVIW is coming along behind the science fiction writers, trying to make their visions real, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, the I guess you could think of the science fiction writers as the scouts. And then we're the, what, the vanguard of the, the main body, you know, that's coming along behind them, you know, building a bridge to space and the stars. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate you, you guys taking the time for the interview. Thanks. Okay, so certainly. Well, thank you. It's, it's been a pleasure. Okay. Thanks. Yes. That was Ken Roy and Martha Knowles. This has been the podcast version of the YouTube series From Here to the Stars, which is created by the Interstellar Research Group. The IRG is a nonprofit organization dedicated to thoroughly exploring the science and engineering that can eventually open up the reality of interstellar travel. Find us online at irg.space. I have been your host, Stephen Ewan Cobb. If you enjoyed this video, please hit the like button and you can subscribe to our channel for other such videos. On behalf of all of us here at the Interstellar Research Group, I thank you.